Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and today we have part two of our very interesting interview with Danny O'Brien from the EFF. We've been talking about some recent developments in privacy coming out of the European Union, and uh, in particular, their kind of like the EU's Supreme Court. It's the their Court of Justice that has ruled again recently. This is really the second time they've they've said this, as we'll find out in today's interview, uh, the second part of the interview that. Companies can promise all they want about privacy policies and trying to adhere to the GDPR or the General Data Protection Regulation uh, that went into effect. Gosh, it's been at least over a year now. I think it was maybe two years um, that that's been in effect, which basically requires companies operating the EU or at least with EU customers to abide by some basic privacy principles and and regulations. And basically what the court is saying with this Schrems case, which we're going to talk about Max Schrems today as well, it's very, very, very interesting story about his background, that with the pervasive U.S. mass surveillance, uh, particularly the, you know, the intelligence agencies, and it's really not just even the U.S., but I mean, the U.K., Australia, and some of these other allied countries with heavy-duty intelligence agencies are spying on all of us and looking at all this data. And so basically they're saying that it doesn't make sense for companies to promise to keep your data private when they can make no such promises in light of that mass surveillance. Anyway, I will let Danny O'Brien explain that better than I possibly could. Coming up next week, we will definitely have a new show. There will be a lot of things to talk about. I really thought there'd be more to come out of uh, the two big hacker conferences this year, but there wasn't really any big earth-shattering things that came out of there. However, there are some definite cybersecurity news items we need to cover. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll definitely talk about all this TikTok mess next week and all the things going on with that. I'll even talk a little bit probably about the Fortnite stuff that's going on. Uh, even if you don't play Fortnite, it's important to understand what all is happening with regard to that. And there will be more. <laughs> Never a dull moment. So plenty to talk about next week when we have our new show. Um, then we've got even more interview shows coming up after that. I'll talk to you more about that after we get through the one with Danny O'Brien. And I've got some interesting news about the book launch coming up as well. So you'll definitely want to check that out after our interview. But let's not waste any more time. Let's go back where we left off with Danny O'Brien and pick up with the Max Schrems cases and what this will mean for you and me. <laughs> So your article talks about there are a couple different law cases that, that, that all of this kind of came to a head. Um, one, I think, about five years ago and then one recently. So why don't you tell us about the Schrems cases and how the uh, how the NSA spying and all these things kind of came into conflict with where the EU was going with their privacy laws. So, you know, the great thing about this story is that it all has this this name Schrems in it. And, you know, <laughs> Max, Max Schrems, I can't remember when I first met him. But Max was a law student, and he came to the U.S. I think it was at Santa Clara University. Maybe maybe it was Stanford, but I think it was Santa Clara, which are both Silicon Valley, you know, university spaces, mm-hmm. Silicon Valley. And obviously one of the things that's kind of fun in that situation is to have someone, you know, people from these big tech companies come and speak. And the creation myth of Max is somebody from Facebook, I think the general counsel, close enough, came and Max started asking him about European data protection law. Mm. And it became very clear in this awkward conversation <laughs> that like the, 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 
that Facebook just wasn't thinking about this, right? Mm. That a lot of the data collection that, that Facebook was doing did not have an obvious justification or explanation under EU law. And yet Facebook was just be- was becoming big in the EU. So all this really relied on no one, uh, you know, calling out the emperor's new clothes, right? No, mm-hmm. Actually pointing out this was legal. And Max not only did this, you know, awkwardly in a law <laughs> seminar, um, but then when he back- went back to Europe, he started launching lawsuits. And really the underlying question was in EU law, and this is was pre the GDPR, but then became the, encoded in the GDPR as well, because the old data protection laws and the GDPR are really kind of like the embodiment of the the essentially constitutional human rights protections of the mm-hmm. European Charter, the data protection principles. Anyway, his lawsuits were around the idea about like, well, is this actually quote-unquote unconstitutional and the thing he drilled down on was that in in all of these laws they govern what companies could do in the eu but because of this this tricky border problem right because you know it's very easy to move data outside of the borders of your your legal control Uh, part of the regulations say if, if companies are moving personal data outside of Europe, um, the place that they move it to, there have to be similar protections, right? There have to be adequate protections in those places too. And when this was originally written, the assumption was because, as I say, the kind of ideals of data protection were sort of an international agreement, as it were. The assumption was is that gradually other countries would pick up and implement data protection laws and there would be a kind of free data trade area if mm. you if you like that didn't happen in the US so in the US data flows between the US and Europe became based on these sort of like again informal formal but you know not heavily litigated agreements and the first one of these was um, the privacy safe harbor, where if you were moving data out of Europe as a company, you would say, I agree to do X, Y, and Z. I would agree to follow the data protection principles. And just, to, you know, I, I, we've talked about it without defining it. The data protection principles are a bunch of things like you have to get consent for um, the use of certain data unless it's absolutely necessary for businesses. You need to be able to have the right to delete this data. You need to um, have some form of redress, right? If the data is wrong Mm -hmm. and something bad happens, you need to be able to do something, uh, have some legal way of of dealing with that. I mean, they're not, it's not like a super, super high bar. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, So that's how things worked. Part of Max's argument when he went to the courts, and this was just after the Snowden revelations, and he went to the courts in Ireland because, as you say, Facebook is a legal entity in Europe, like many tech companies, is based in Ireland. He made a really interesting legal point, which is he said, you know, it kind of doesn't matter what these companies say they're doing to protect data. If US law doesn't protect Europeans' data 
from being scooped up by the US government, which we know they're doing because of all these Snowden leaks mm-hmm. and our the EFF lawsuits and so forth, and you know, the government basically going, Yes, we have the total right to do that because it's just European data, it's not US persons. <laughs> if that is the case, there's nothing these companies could promise that would protect European data. Like they're basically going off into this legal wild zone. And so how can how can the companies promise to do anything? And uh, Schrems One resolved this <laughs> in <laughs> to the liking of no one apart from privacy advocates and the billions of people whose civil liberties were being right. violated. Right, just, just those um, people, yeah, yeah, just those people. Because it went up to the equivalent of the EU Supreme Court, and they went, "This is absolutely right." Like, like if you have prism, if you have all of this mass surveillance, there's no rule. So this privacy safe harbor um, is, is, is void. And come back and come up with some other way of justifying this data being moved. So that was Shrems 1. So what happened after Shrems 1 is folks like us rubbed our hands and went, well... Now you've done it because, like, your <laughs> completely warrantless surveillance programs in the United States that scoop up this data of every non-U.S. person whose data is stored in the U.S., which, by the way, is billions of people because of these huge tech Silicon Valley tech companies. Mm. Um, because you're doing that, you've effectively sliced into the one of the biggest U.S. industries, Right, they literally won't be able to move the data out of their U- their European customers to process it, and that's how this whole business works. So something has to uh, has to be fixed here. And then the fix was in. Um, what they said is, well, we're going to do another thing that's just like the safe harbor. We're going to call it the privacy shield. And it will be Sounds pretty good. much exactly the same. We'll just promise, you know, even harder to do all the <laughs> things that we did in the safe harbor and um, and everything's sorted now. Ignoring completely what the court said. The court said very specifically, it's the U.S. government's mass surveillance program that invalidates this. I mean... To be clear, they weren't very happy about Facebook's data collection practices either, but that was the thing that clinched it, right? That was the thing where they went, we know what's going on here because the U.S. government does not deny that this is happening and the law allows them to do it. There is no redress for European citizens. So then we had to go through this extra like process where they introduced the privacy shield and um, the regulators, in particular the Irish regulator, went, well, what are we supposed to do now? Because you've given us this new thing, also a bunch of other kind of alternative contracts that Facebook and other tech companies are now saying they can use to move this data. Are we supposed to throw those out now? Uh, you know, can we do that? Is that a legit thing for us to do? And it went through the courts. It went up to the Supreme, the um, CJAU again, uh, European Court of Justice, and they went, "Yes, like, like we we said this before. These laws still exist. These mass surveillance programs still exist. You still cannot move data using this principle 
uh, over the Atlantic. Now, I'm eliding a huge amount here, of course, right? <laughs> sure. But certainly to my eye and to the eye of, I think, any neutral observer who doesn't have a really powerful vested interest in arguing that the data transfers are actually fine, that's the problem. The U.S. has to fix its mass surveillance laws. And this was just, this was very recent. So we're actually caught up to present day. This, the Schrems 2, as we're calling it, I mean, just happened. You just wrote the article about it, right? And Yeah. So the decision came down. I mean, I mean, look, uh, our, our lawsuits about the NSA surveillance have been going on since 2008. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, these things do not, are not over overnight. Um, I think Schrems 2, which interestingly, Max didn't actually start. The, the, the Irish regulators started it. The reason why it's called Schrems 2 is they kind of like dragged him into the case. Mm. <laughs> they sort of said, like, we want to do this and like, we'd like Schrems to like help you know feed into this mm-hmm. this lawsuit um and in fact we we eff we tried to come in as well as a, an expert witness but um actually a lot of people as you would imagine would be kind of fascinated by this court case and it was actually picked up by two of our um really great colleague organizations the aclu and um and uh, epic but yeah this decision was pretty recent and it's really followed the same pattern as Schrems one which is everybody has just gone, okay, what do we do now? Right. And I imagine that there will be another period of desperate attempts by everybody except the U.S. government <laughs> to fix this. And the U.S. government is the only people who can fix it. So what are, I mean, because I've seen maybe it's just because I look at a lot of privacy sites. I've, I've seen a lot of you know, light your hair on fire, you know, sky collapsing, which probably happened in the Schrems 1 decision. Oh, too, absolutely. But, <laughs> saying, you know, oh, my God, they threw out privacy seal. What is everybody going to do now? Uh, like, so let's, let's start with, well, the basics. Do they put a deadline on this stuff? Like, what, like what are, how long do the companies have to comply? And what are the, what are the companies doing to, in response I mean, to this? I mean, in... True sort of judicial fashion, um, the courts have basically, you know, pointed out that this is all against the law and then thrown it to uh, others to to work out the details. And, you know, one of the biggest problems about this is that EU is a young federal state, I guess, sort of mm-hmm. multi-state system. And a lot of these balance of power things are still being worked out. It, it, it you know, part of the challenge here is the equivalent, the sort of equivalent of the executive in the EU is is the European Commission. And the European Commission does not want to deal with this. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as I say, almost everybody in a position of power from the big tech companies to the European Commission to um, the US Department of Commerce does not have much incentive to actually enforce this decision or come to any kind of resolution um the other thing is is that you know there are ways that it's not like a blanket prohibition on data flows because that would i almost said that would be weird and the law is sometimes this law is sometimes weird but you know if i wanted to give you my name and address say right i Mm -hmm. can do that and i was in the uk or europe um uk kind of in europe at the moment Mm -hmm. Uh, I could do that, right? Like, I, there are 
there are very explicit ways that you can actually agree to do this. The thing that's tricky for companies is doing it en masse. Also, the uh, when I said I was alighting things, like the very specific thing that they're worried about is is um, foreign intelligence surveillance. Mm. And it's not like the US government can go and say, tell you, um, hey, podcast producer, we need to have all the information that you have on your European listeners or whatever. Mm. The, the, the US law is fairly specific about it being telecommunications providers. Now, that description and that i don't think that's actually the exact term but that description is broad enough to include folks who are providing telecommunication services like facebook or or, mm. or, or like google but it's not everybody and max is pretty clear at saying look when we did this we were really pointing out the people who might be um required to be complicit in these surveillance programs there's another argument that, you know, in some ways we're all complicit because um, there are other parts of the U.S. law that allow them to spy on people, you know, without obtaining permission. The sort of upstream programs where basically, mm. you know, things like submarine cable taps and, mm. uh, and the like. But I, I think you can you can view this to make this a, a, at least in some way a containable problem, you can view it as being about the FISA surveillance. Uh, one of the counter arguments to all of this, incidentally, is that that um, folks in the US frequently do say is everybody does this, right? All right. of the, the countries in the world, including Europe, spy on on non non nationals. Um, so, uh, you, one of the talking points you'll see is that this is the height of hypocrisy for mm. Europe to put on its, its, you know, civil liberties, big boots and claim all this <laughs> when the Germans right. do this, like mm. the, uh, the French do this. Um, what's kind of interesting about that is that there's actually in the other kind of part institutions of national European countries, so the German Constitutional Court actually just made this decision that says, you know what, like the German institutions can't just willy-nilly spy on everybody outside of Germany. Hmm. And there has to be some rules, hmm. basically, right? Um, so at the same time as that's true, I, it, it's not, it's, it, it's a weird counter argument. It's very, you know, a playground argument to say, well, they did it first, right? It's still against mm. the law. And also there's sort of this beginning of a groundswell movement between all countries to say, look, this has gone too far. We need some kind of rules of the road about yeah. the surveillance that we're conducting on each other. Um, but that's very early days. Um, so does this uh, what, what are the practical impacts of this then if it's if it's just kind of an ivory tower thing that says this is bad this shouldn't be done but there's not a lot of enforcement i mean G gdpr has got some pretty pretty serious big, penalties big is team. that what's going to come so into play here this this all falls down onto the data protection um authorities and they uh they were given a lot more teeth in in the gdpr um, they were also given a lot more power to kind of coordinate a bit more. 
Um, they're they're at the national level, as we said. You know, there's Irish data protection authorities. There's there's different there's ones in each country um, of the EU. They could step up, right? And you know, a lot of these cases revolve around the Irish data protection authority saying, "Can we really do this? <laughs> you know, like, do we mm. do we have that power?" And the CJU, um, the European Court of Justice, saying. Yes, you have that power. And just to make this quicker, we'll make this decision for you. So people's concern is often about, like, a lot of money comes to, into Ireland um, from mm. the fact that they're, they're the um, uh, it's sort of institutional location of these companies. Is the regulator going to get captured? Is the regulator really going to say this, this isn't... Um, you have to get out. Uh, interestingly, the EU just the EU Commission suffered a another um, setback with the European Court of Justice. I think the week before, mm. which is that they the France had um, uh, no actually I think it was the Commission had uh, argued that the Irish tax breaks that they offered mm -hmm. um, foreign companies were were uh, in violation and that that. that I think right, Apple yeah. would have to pay it back, and the court also said, "No, you can't do that. Like that's you, you. There needs to be some rules about this. You can't just suddenly decide this." So there's a lot of complexity to what the Europe's relationship to these national powers are going to be. The thing that changes this slightly, as you said, with the GDPR, is that um, it's it's possible for data protection authorities that aren't the Irish data protection authorities to step up to do this now. Um, and in particular, Max, after the series of really pretty earth-shattering um, legal decisions, has uh, set up his own kind of uh, uh, consumer group, litigation group, like like EFF, kind of a public in hmm. impact litigation, um, consumer technology startup if you will called uh, none of your business nyob.eu <laughs> and he is now sort of switching to getting the regulators to step up to do that and i would say you know it's very easy to kind of go well somebody declares that this is against the law therefore it stops and you need to have not only an enforcement mechanism but you also need to have some political will to set up that yeah. enforcement mechanism if it's missing. And I think one of the things that's really changed is people are no longer very happy with the big tech companies. Mm. I, we saw like some of the biggest, richest CEOs in the country um, being taken to task in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, last week in Congress the atmosphere as you can imagine is not even worse in europe where mm. these are billionaires from a foreign country <laughs> right who've literally kind of taken this data and then handed it to that foreign country and the us's reputation is not very high i would say in europe right now so i think that there is the political will uh to do something the question is uh, this becomes a, a kind of a trade issue as well. And 
uh, I think everybody involved is a little worried about a big economic trade war in the same way as we have this sort of economic cold war with China. Right. So we have these shots over TikTok and, and the <laughs> like. So uh, I would say that the things are escalating. There is legitimate reasons to challenge all of these things and come up with something new. And there's a big gap between what we need to have in place and what we have in place. And the question is, do we fill that gap with some actual positive international cooperation to create the world that we agreed that we should have? Or is it just going to turn into like a tit-for-tat Cold War where uh, things get worse, things at the very least don't get any better and we end up re-erecting those mountains and those borders and end up splitting the internet rather than actually making it better for everyone. So in wrapping up, I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about changing attitudes and I think some of that, you know, if you think about little d democracy and what it might take for some of these things to change, and maybe it's generational too, I think maybe... You know, there is an old guard, I think, in certainly in, in, in U.S. Congress and such that have differing views on the, the balance between law enforcement and privacy that might be, you know, you could, you could hope might shift, you know, as, uh, as kind of they age out, uh, which is a polite way of saying, I guess, retire. I won't say die. <laughs> um, right, right. But what do you think? And I know EFF well, you know, change keep, their keep... mind. I mean, <laughs> right. the, you know, the, the, uh, one of the most amazing things that I've seen in, in, in in my lifetime that seems a little hyperbole but honestly it was pretty spectacular was when uh Sensenbrenner, brenner who uh was one of the authors of the patriot act right actually joined eff on an amicus to say when we wrote the patriot act we did not write it so that the u.s intelligence services could do what they're doing now like mm. they are taking an interpretation of what I wrote and misusing it. And I've definitely seen, as I think many people have seen, like people's attitude to law enforcement, to the tech companies as well, really shift in the last few years. And I don't think you need to die <laughs> <laughs> to, to, uh, have, to have that kind of dawning realization. And also, I do think that, you know, honestly, the internet plays a part here in that um, Europeans and uh, Americans and people from all around the world are doing the kind of coordination now that was people expected would happen in the 70s. And that that um, there's coordination going on to rein back these practices. And I said, it kind of needs cooperation on the governmental level, like these governments need to step down in their surveillance mm. and it needs sort of com coordination to rein back these multinational tech companies you know france can't break up google right france mm. can't like on its own change these things i'm not entirely sure the united states can either <laughs> given this sort of regulatory arbitrage but 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 there's some semblance of the kind of coordination that we need to do growing and thank god we have the tools still to be able to do that kind of coordination without having to jump three firewalls and <laughs> a data privacy border in order to coordinate 
So last question, that's kind of a two-parter. If our audience is properly uh, motivated now and maybe uh, to pursue some of these things, what, first of all, what what would you recommend for people who want to further these causes? What are, what are some of the most effective ways from a grassroots level uh, people might want to get involved? And second, is they run across at the water cooler, which I guess is virtual now that we're all staying home, but or the Thanksgiving dinner table or or whatever, and they're and they're and they bring up this subject, they're having a debate, and they run into somebody who maybe hasn't thought about thought it through, or maybe comes down on the security side of the of the fake choice. Um, what might what resources or uh, things might you suggest that people uh, refer to 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 kind of help change minds and and um, you know, maybe to help you know, the arguments over the Thanksgiving dinner table about these kind of things. Sure. So I, um, I mean, of course, I'm gonna I'm gonna say what you might predict, which is like it's really useful to join EFF. We're a member. Or, we're a membership funded organization, and part of the reason we can take these fights against companies and the government is because we have the freedom to do so because people very generously donate their time and their, uh, and their money. So if you go to EFF.org, you can, you can join there. And the same goes, we have thousands of European members, but um, if you are in Europe, you have some good laws now. um, And, Folks like Max are doing amazing work there. Um, as you said, I helped set up the Open Rights Group in the UK. Max said, mind your business. There are local digital rights groups all around the world. Actually, at the local level in the United States, EFF now has the EFA, which is mm-hmm. our um, sort of network of local digital rights groups. And I would say that a lot of the privacy work right now is happening at the state level. The mm-hmm. California has uh, passed last year a pretty good um, GDPR, GDPR-like law, mm-hmm. and we're seeing some real action at the state level. And and people really can have like a direct democratic influence. If you contact your attorney general or um, your representative there, you can get rules that will hold this sort of stuff back. In terms of sort of, you know, bringing more people to the cause or what have you. I think that most people listening to this are probably the techiest person mm-hmm. in, their, in their family to know. So I think they get some respect, not enough respect, I would say, mm-hmm. having had to fix many computers <laughs> for Thanksgiving in my time. But, um, you know, you do have some authority to talk about these things. I know it's sometimes hard to bring it home. I mean, a cheap trick that we do or I do in these situations where I'm trying to convey actually often to activists and journalists mm-hmm. about the dangers of privacy uh, or the threats to privacy is to like say, well, look, how would you feel if you just handed your phone over to me now and gave me your pin? And like just that emotional reaction yep. when you hand your phone over makes people realize that shit, I wouldn't even want to do this with like, someone in my family right yeah and and that's that's i mean it's 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 a cheap trick but i think it, it makes the emotional connection that i think a lot of technologists just instinctively know and have about this stuff and then while you have their phone like <laughs> go to eff and type in their cri- no um, <laughs> um I, I and you know get 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 people involved it really i i do think as i said this is not this is not a uh, i think people have begun to cross that line now of going from 
this just seems a load of nonsense. You know, I don't really care about these things. To actually being a little bit creeped out, they just don't know what to do. Right. They, they feel helpless. And it's so sad because uh, I think all of us kind of got involved in technology and building technology because it's so empowering. Yeah. It oh, so yeah. gives you like a feeling, especially if you're a sysadmin, a feeling of real power. <laughs> um, and so it's so sad that people have these incredibly powerful tools in their pockets and they feel powerless and helpless. So I think trying to work together to make sure that people get that, that, that high tech power back is what we do at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Well, you certainly do, and I love the work you guys are doing. I, you guys have been so generous in letting me interview so many of your folks, so I really appreciate that. And thanks again for coming back, Danny. This is exactly the conversation I wanted to have. Great. Really, really always a pleasure. I want to send out a big thanks to Danny O'Brien for coming on the show and for struggling through some of the kind of crazy. We had some weird technical difficulties getting this done, but we we persevered. We got we got it done, uh, and I was really glad we did. It was a great interview, and uh, always a pleasure talking with Danny and any of the folks from EFF. And now would be a great time for you to reach out to the EFF uh, or groups like them, uh, Epic, ACLU, or all of them, if you're so inclined, uh, because they're doing a lot of really great work on your behalf, whether you support them or not. But they do need support. They need donations from people like you and me. I've actually just uh, cranked up my donation to the EFF because I think now more than ever, our civil liberties and human rights are eroding. They're really under attack, which is really sad to say. I mean, I consider this to be the greatest democracy on the planet. Of course, I'm biased. But our rights and, and liberties in this country have really been taking a hit lately. So anyway, I don't want to get too much more philosophical than that. But these guys do need donations, and now would be a great time for you to reach out. Just go to EFF.org and look at that big donate button. Uh, you can give as little as you want or as much as you can afford. They will appreciate either. And uh, with the EFF, uh, one more thing, they will give you some uh, some swag, some stickers, some T-shirts, some uh, other things with EFF on them. Uh, consider getting those. They have an option to say no, which I'm sure is a cost-saving measure. But I would like to suggest that you do go ahead and get them and then wear that T-shirt. Put that sticker somewhere where somebody will see it and start a conversation. You know, like maybe people don't know who they are. In fact, I bet a lot of people don't know who they are. So the question is, what's EFF? What do they do? And, you know, that gives you a chance to uh, talk about what's going on because we really don't do that much. I think it's because a lot of people don't feel they can do anything about it, but you can. And one of the things you could do is you can give to groups like EFF who are out there fighting every day for you guys. So in the background, I've been working to get some other interviews going, and as always, but there's two really big gets that I've got coming up. Some, some people I've been trying to interview for a long time. Uh, and I'm not going to tip it just yet because I don't want to jinx anything, but there should be a couple uh, couple of really big interviews coming up here shortly. So now would be a great time to go to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to this one so you'll make sure you get those episodes when they come out. And last but certainly not least, as I mentioned in the intro to today's show, the fourth edition of my book is imminent. It will be coming out in just a matter of weeks. I can't wait for that to happen. I've been dying to update it. Uh, so much has changed even in just the last two years since the third edition was out. And it's even expanded, so this edition will have 170 tips in it, uh, as opposed to 150 that was in the third edition. So just chock full of great tips and information for people who want to learn about cybersecurity and privacy and how to, you know, it's all the low-hanging fruit stuff. I, again, I love to use analogies, and for me, this is the kind of thing, 
like, you know, brush your teeth and installing smoke alarms, wearing seatbelts, putting on sunscreen. These are all the kind of things, you know, that we take for granted in modern day life that we've just gotten used to as just good things to do for overall general health. And we just haven't picked up those same kind of insights, that same instinct for the digital world. So anyway, this is my effort to try to educate as many people as possible about this stuff. And because the more, more of us that do this, the safer we'll all be, even for the, even for those of us who don't do it, it's uh, kind of like a herd immunity thing. The harder it is for viruses, computer viruses and malware to spread, the, the better off we all are. And privacy and mass surveillance, uh, this is something we can do something about. And I give you all sorts of things you can do uh, that are very simple. Most of them are free. So there's just, there's just no reason not to do them. Anyway, so uh, with the fourth edition coming out so soon, I, I want to do a, a big giveaway or something to try to reach as many people as possible, try to drum up some support and drum up some interest in the book. I've been kind of racking my brain about what I'm going to do. I, you know, I, I'll do some obvious things. Uh, I'll probably do a book giveaway on Goodreads. Uh, if you're not familiar with Goodreads, it's sort of a social media place for books. And, you know, you know me, I'm not big on the social media, but I've always kind of had a soft spot for Goodreads and you know, sharing the book, the current book that I'm reading with friends of mine and getting book recommendations and things like that. So I've, I've actually, I was with book reads before they were owned by Amazon, uh, which they are, if you don't know that. And so I've got an author page there on Goodreads and, and through that, I'll give away some copies of the book, maybe even some signed copies of the book. And I may do something on Patreon as well. Uh, so you can check that out, patreon.com and search on firewalls. Don't stop dragons. I may do something there, but I think after much, much thought, I think what I'm going to do is give away some of my time. This would be a chance for you or someone you know to get some one-on-one -on -one time with me. And I could answer your questions on privacy and cybersecurity. Uh, I'm not sure what form that will take. It you know, could just be a one-hour WebEx or Zoom meeting or something like that. Perhaps some sort of a chat session or a private uh, AMA, what they call an Ask Me Anything. We'll see. So stay tuned and uh, all those details will be coming together soon. All right, and that'll wrap it up. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Subscribe if you haven't. Maybe leave a nice review on iTunes or wherever you get this from. And I hope you're all staying safe and healthy and staying home when you can. Wear those masks when you go out. Definitely think about all the parents out there with the kids trying to go back to school. Hopefully everybody stays safe. We can definitely beat this thing if we all work together. A lot of other countries have, and we can do it too. So that's it. Tune in again next week. I'll have that big news show for you. And until then, as always, don't get caught with your trumpet, Jeff.